Welcome to the Engage People podcast, where we, we speak to people in leadership about aligning their business with talent to create a happy and productive workplace. Today, I'm joined by Anya Kilkenny, a co-founder of Riley, an exciting Irish business. Riley are on an exciting growth story, and Anya and her colleagues are recent nominees for the EY Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Anya, thanks very much for coming in today. Delighted to catch you. I believe you're, you're heading off to the UK in a few days to uh, set up business over there. Um, good good opportunity maybe if you test a little bit about your, your, your business at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. would love to. And thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. So my business, Riley, is a subscription service for 100% organic cotton period products. So we are a female health brand and really with sustainability at the core of our business. And really how we came about was... I have two co-founders, uh, Lauren Duggan and Fiona Parfrey, and it came about so organically. We were just sitting around one night and one of us got our periods and we looked around and had no products. We were sitting at home, no products, three women in our 30s. And we said to ourselves, how is this happening to us? Like, how are we sitting here having no products when this happens to us pretty much every month without fail? So that's when we started looking into, you know, is this something that we could get delivered to our door? Is this something that we, you know, could find elsewhere? And then we started looking at our period products that we were using and using all the time since we were younger and we never questioned them. And that's when we really came up with the idea for Riley, our 100% organic cotton products. And we've actually grown the business now. It started off as a direct-to-consumer business through our Shopify store. But now we've actually um, pivoted slightly and we are also supplying into corporates. So supplying our products into corporate buildings for their staff and customers as well. So we are two and a half years old, nearly three years old now. And yeah, it's been a roller coaster. Yeah, very exciting. So if I was to ask you, there's uh, lots of groups of people get together, particularly when there's wine or a few beers involved (laughs) and they hatch an amazing business idea. Uh, The next morning they wake up, everyone goes back to work and thinks, well, that was a great idea. We'll revisit that someday. What happened over that period of time and how long was it before you decided to resign and take the big plunge into into, uh, Riley being your full time job? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, We actually came up with the idea so quickly and we executed it very quickly as well. So we came up with that idea in December 2020 and four months later we launched to market. So it was a really quick turnaround. And the reason behind that was very much because we were so passionate about what we wanted to do. We knew we wanted to create accessibility to these products, that these 100% organic cotton products, products that are better for women's bodies and better for the planet. And we hadn't found anything that matched what we wanted at that time. So we got to work and myself, Lauren and Fiona worked together at the weekends. After work, we all had full-time jobs. I was working in Salesforce at the time. Lauren was um, full-time in London. She actually was there for eight years working in ad tech. And my other business partner, Fiona, had her own business um, called Sundrift, which was a sustainable outdoor lifestyle brand. So we all had different priorities at that time. But I think we were so passionate about Riley and we knew it was such a good opportunity to be able to give accessibility to these products. And we just got to work. So we we did it very quickly. And yeah, I resigned four months later when we launched the um, when we launched the website in April 2021. 
Can you remember what was going through your mind in the days building up to the big, 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 big resignation? <laughs> yeah, um, terror, I would say. Yeah. Uh, no, um, we were so excited, to be honest, when I got together with Lauren and Fiona and when we were working so well in that period of time over those four months. We were just so passionate and we were so driven by what we wanted to do that I was just so excited. By the time I I actually handed in my resignation, I was so excited with the business. And I remember a couple of days before I was speaking to a friend of mine and I was talking about the business and how excited I was and we were going to do X, Y and Z and we were going to give these products to women and create so much education around it. And they just said, well, you know, you've no option now. You just have to quit your job. And I, I was like, what? I definitely have options. And they were like, no, I, I know what it's like for, for someone to love their job so much and be passionate about their job. And, mm. you know, this is it. You just have to have to quit. So, yeah, a couple of days later, I handed in my notice. It sounds like there's a real connection for you and Lauren and Fiona. And I think from what you mentioned, it's quite a nice story that um, you were living in Dublin, used to visit West Cork in the summers. Yeah. Uh, from what age would you guys have started to hang around? Oh, God, we were so young. Um, yeah, my our families were all close. And then Lauren and Fiona actually went to school together in Cork, in Cork City. And then my family was really close with Lauren's family. We grew up together. So we had been in touch with each other. We had known each other since we were really young. Very good. And if you were thinking about the sort of shared values, maybe from a business perspective, what do you think stood out and at what stage of your lives did you start to think about the future and business? Can you remember um, at what point maybe you thought to yourself, geez, these might these might be good co-founders. There's obviously a good level of trust there. Yeah, and that's a really good one. Trust is so important within a founding team. And we are very ambitious. We're three very ambitious women. And I think once we were around each other a lot, we would have spoken a lot about career and what we wanted to achieve. And knowing them and knowing um, what they have achieved in their own career and then having that trust as well. And when the opportunity for Riley came about that evening when we were all together, as you mentioned, having a glass Mm. of wine, all Mm. good ideas come from a glass of wine. And really, you know, we said to ourselves, we already had that trust made and we could see we were working together so well over those four months that, you know, that's what really cemented us together. And we didn't know we were going to start a business, to be perfectly honest. Mm. we had I had toyed with the idea so many times. Um, but when the opportunity came, I think we were all so mission driven that we knew this was it and that we had to really um, grab it with both hands. Yeah, very good. And if you were, there's, there's going to be um, future founders of businesses hopefully listening to uh, our conversation today. Um, you, you, you and I both run businesses. There's lots of things that we look back very fondly. A couple of things that maybe have been, um, wouldn't have been a priority or would be less of a priority now that maybe we prioritised earlier on. What what can you remember being high on your list that was a priority that served you well and any advice you'd have for a potential founder in terms of, you know, maybe what not to sort of sweat too much? It's true what they say, don't sweat the small stuff. Mm. I think that's so important. We have um, one of our values in Riley is everything is figureoutable. And yes, we made up a word, but it's really how we live our values as a company. And it's what we share with our team as well. And it's just that you know there is an answer for everything even even when there is a problem and we really like to to figure things out and to know that there is a solution and we'll get to the bottom of it so we're we're quite um determined in that way i would say as a team that we really do when we come across these problems that we 
double down and make sure that we find find a solution for them. Yeah, very good. Um, I, I think you're, uh, there's a common theme about making up words. So uh, the, the word placeable is not an actual word, but it's very commonly used in recruitment. In recruitment. So people would often say that that candidate is very placeable, which I actually yeah, isn't a word. Um, the, the theme of our podcast is really about employer ability. Also not a word, but, you know, pe- <laughs> pe- 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 people seem to understand it. Just in terms of in the early days, once you were up and running and, you know, you were sort of getting them, um, you know, you had, your mojo was sort of building, you were building a really clear path. What, what was your first win that you thought to yourself, God, I could really, you really took confidence from? Anything in particular stand out? I think that actually our first order is something that sticks out in my mind. And when we set the website live in April, having that first order come in, we really did celebrate it. There's Mm. actually a video on our Instagram of us jumping up and down and just celebrating because we were just so happy. And I think that's really important to celebrate those smaller wins. At that time, we had launched the business. It was during COVID. It was, we were still... um, using my house as a distribution centre. So Mm. when we started the business, all of the stock, I had a a garage and that was big enough and all of the stock actually landed in my house. And believe me, when an 18-wheeler truck arrived outside my house that day, I was like, what have we done? But um, again, we were so driven in what we wanted to do that we were so excited. But that first order was a huge win and it's something that really does I you know we we do celebrate a lot of those things the other thing that would have been a huge win that I always think of is when we got our first corporate contract Mm. so very shortly after we launched we um, got a call from Vodafone and they asked us could we supply our products in their bathrooms and it's something we had never explored before we hadn't thought about it we had launched as a DTC business we didn't even think that this would be a corporate offering and like any good startup, we said, yeah, absolutely, we mm. can we can stock our, you know, we can supply our products into your bathrooms. And then we hung up the phone and proceeded to figure out how mm. to do that. But those are the probably the two biggest wins early on that really stick in my mind because it was such, the Vodafone contract in particular was such a turning point for us as a business. Yeah, very good. Some of the things you mentioned to me, um, you know, the customer itself seems to be of great importance. Uh, and, and you'd be amazed to actually speak to some business is where um, every, every, every eye sees the world differently in relation to how they want to get their product to market. How did you how did you achieve that inbound? You know what, what we would call sort of inbound, where you've companies approaching you. Was it strong PR um, at the time? Were you starting to think about maybe? And sorry, you'd mentioned you were primarily B two C or, or um, exclusively B two C. What what do you think got Vodafone's attention and maybe other uh, customers since? Yeah, press. It it was they actually told us they saw us in the paper. So I think the power of press and media is so important. I think it can often be overlooked when there's Instagram and Mm. Facebook and so many other things. But actually, the power of it of media is is still really important. We actually were on the Late Late Show six months after we launched, and I'll never forget it. It's another win that I often think about. And um, my co-founder, Lauren, went on live and it was a back to business segment Mm. and it was on quite late. I think it only aired at 10 or 11 and our website exploded. And because we're a subscription business, we deliver at that time we had delivered monthly, but we now deliver quarterly. And we had, you know, our website flooded and the orders came in. And I remember just being like, we were, I was still packing all these boxes myself. So I was Mm. like, how are we going to do this? (laughs) Um, But it was so exciting. So I think the power of the media is, is so important for a business, both, you know, 
like that orders were directly coming in but I think just the the brand um, value is really really important yeah very good so you, you went home from the late late show and got up the next morning and started packing more boxes that <laughs> yeah exactly and so it, it strikes me as a sort of a you know a, a new product that you know so if, if someone launches a business and uh, you know when you're, when you're running a business or in that business development space you're, all, you're always thinking about who the decision maker is and you know maybe the market share what percentage we could share this is effectively a new you know a new offering you know yeah. it's something brand new and, and, and therefore huge entrepreneurial um, who did you decide on the early days as being the decision maker? When we talk to companies yeah. in particular it, it depends on the company so sometimes it is the HR function sometimes it's the facilities management and it's really about understanding and cultivating those relationships mm. as well and we often when we partner with um, corporates, we would often then do a marketing strategy around it because what we really want to do is educate on these products. Mm. And our our products are 100% organic cotton. They are sustainable. They are better for women's bodies. And they're, they're very different in terms of mainstream period products on the shelves that are often made from rayon, which is a synthetic material. And that can cause a lot of irritability in an area for a woman. And... So we like to do a lot of education around it. So we like to partner with who we're supplying our products to to really drive that message home as well. So it depends on the company. Sometimes it's, you know, facilities management. Sometimes it's a HR function or or a DNI. So a lot of like diversity and inclusion groups as well. Um, but again, we like to do a full marketing push with them so that everyone is aware that their employer is doing this for them. Mm. And it's not even just about having the product in the bathrooms, which is so important, 90% of women run out of period products when they need them. So having them in the office is genuinely so helpful. Mm. But also it's about recognising that a woman is going through this every month, that she has a period and that, you know, she is going through this um, 30, on average, 28 to 30 day cycle. And it's just about respecting that and respecting you know female health. And mm. I think that's just as important. Yeah. That's a lot of feedback that we've gotten from um, our corporate partners as well is that well we've gotten amazing feedback from from people but also that it's not just the convenience of the product that it's actually about the respect element as well and acknowledgement of um, the female cycle. Yeah, absolutely. So and it's interesting you mentioned about the human resource function as well as facilities and, and one would think you know the procurer of the product might be on the facility side but th- this is very much about the employer value proposition so um, we, we, we have we've um, read space in Iconics. We've a private space for 16 people with engaged people. Um, the Riley products have been there. I'm going to say probably the last sort of six, nine months or so. Yeah. Uh, but it's regularly commented on and it actually makes, uh, you know, Iconic a more attractive place to work and therefore engaged people is a more attractive place to work because um, it's a more enlightened organisation. The fact that that product is offered, which I, which I think is very smart. Um, Definitely. If we, if we go down, maybe visit the route of the, sort of the education side of things and, and I mean this both from a male and female perspective um, what what needs to change and who do you think it needs to come from so if I, if I was to look back when I was um, between the age of 10 to 13 it's obviously a lot going on um, the, the most <clears throat> the sort of experience I can remember is you, you run onto a football pitch a rugby pitch and you're playing opposite some fellow who has a moustache basically and you're thinking to yourself going gosh well this this is different <laughs> uh, and, and you know boys think that they have a, a challenging period of time what, what do you think needs to change and who does it need to come from? Is it is it formal education? Is it parents? Is it breaking down boundaries? Onya, what, what what's your opinion? I definitely think that it starts 
very young at the beginning, you know, <clears> back, you know, when we're learning about this topic, it's all about education and opening up the conversation. And like like you said, like everyone's going through different times when you're so young, but really starting at the beginning and just understanding and educating. I think that's really where it has to come from. We are partnered with Her Sport, so we do workshops around the country to empower girls to stay in sport, but also to educate them about female health as well. And we also partner with Development Pomoja, which is um, an Irish-based charity in Kenya, but we have sponsored um, a menstrual programme there too. So we sponsor product, but we also sponsor a programme where they go around to schools and educate the girls, but they also educate the boys. And that's where I think it's really important. Mm. Back when I was in primary school, you know, they would take the boys out to tell the girls about, you know, like your period. And it's the most normal thing in the world. Like, I don't understand why we should be like hiding behind curtains talking about it when it's just a normal bodily function Mm. and it should be treated as such. Um, And when you think about it, half the world menstruates. So for it to be such a taboo subject seems kind of crazy. So really getting out, talking about it. And that's why like in the workplace as well, I think a lot of people are putting in um, menstrual policies um, to try and understand and acknowledge what their staff is going through, um, which I think is brilliant and it's a step in the right direction. Do you think Ireland's different? To you? You've obviously um, building a business. Um, I was going to say empire now. But obviously you've got sort of international dealing. Is Ireland different in terms of um, how people communicate about the menstrual cycle and menstrual products? I think we're really, we're, we are a very progressive country and mm. I think we're getting there, definitely. I've had more conversations about my period in the last two and a half years than <laughs> I have in my whole life. So I think obviously I see it a lot because I'm talking yeah. about it a lot. But at the same time, I think people are, and we have gotten, again, so much feedback from our community to say they're so happy that we're talking about it and they're mm. so happy. We put out a lot of... Um, education on our social medias as well and I think that's really important to get across too so I think we're we are a progressive country and I think we are getting there it's just that we all have to drive that change and it comes not just from us and Riley it comes from you it comes Mm. from you know everyone talking about it together Yeah and do you just out of interest because I'd imagine the products are uh, they're not cheap you know they're obviously in demand can it be a challenge keeping it on the shelves you know if if in certain locations um, you know and they're popular based in your well that's a good business opportunity but there's a practicality element as well and it's probably to do with as you call it period poverty you know whereby um, some people can't afford tampons and therefore if they're there you know they'll probably grab a handful It's interesting because it is something that we have that has been discussed in the past in terms of people were apprehensive about putting the products in the bathrooms Mm. The, the point of them going into the bathrooms is to be able to have the convenience element of having the that product there when a woman needs them. You know, we partner with some offices that the closest shop could be 20 minutes away. That's like 40 minutes out of your workday just going and coming back. And it's also getting caught off guard can be such a knock of confidence when you're doing something and, oh, you get your period and you have no products. It's It can be really, really... Um, you know, like it can really knock your confidence if you're mm. in the middle of a day. And I think that what's important is being able to provide those products. But it's not for your entire period. It's just a, for the convenience of when you get caught off guard. Yeah, yeah. And I think that fundamentally period products should be treated the same as toilet roll. They mm. sh- it should be readily available in every single bathroom. And not just that, if, if an employee needs to be taking so much product that they're 
like taking it all from the bathroom for their entire period. There's a problem in, in what's going on in that office. Mm. And we often say as well that if, if the staff are stealing the toilet roll, they'll probably steal the, the yeah, period products as well. Yeah. But there's a bigger problem yeah. there if yeah. they are doing that. So yeah. that's how we we look at it. And yeah. that's what we have experienced so far when um, we've partnered with offices. The feedback is always that um, it has not, it hasn't been. That's um, respectful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very good. So just we we're talking about the employer value proposition piece, you know, and you you, you guys are, are growing at the moment, which is very exciting. To what degree do your co yourself, Lauren, Fiona, co-founder values? What what are you, you how are you hoping to influence people who join the business in terms of behaviours? What you're hoping for? Um, so we we sort of call it values into actions. Every every company has their own approach. Um, from having worked in the recruitment space over the last twenty twenty five years, I. I definitely see much more of an intentional behaviour that takes place. I would have said maybe 10 years ago, every company had values that very often drift a little bit. Um, It can be understandable. I think, you know, what often happens is people get together every six, 12 months. There's probably a set of a purple patch for two, two, four weeks after that, whereby everyone behaves in a, you know, in 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 an agreed and aligned way. Um, So sorry, the very, very long question, but what what are you hoping to achieve as, as you enter into new markets? In terms of our team. Yeah, and, and aligning the behaviours of which you think are going to be achieved success. Or? Yeah, absolutely. So we we have been growing our team. We will be a team of nine by the end of September, which is very exciting. And that is across our Cork office and our London office, which is really, really exciting for us. And what we've noticed in the past two and a half years when we've been hiring is that we're very much looking at people. We're not just looking at their CV, we're looking at their skills and what they bring. And I think that it's really important in our team, the attitude and the, you know, the passion as well and the Mm. purpose. We're a very purpose-driven business. So having people on our team that reflect those values is really important as well. And as I say, it's not just about what they've done in the past. If you looked at my CV and what I do now, you probably wouldn't mm. hire me. Um, and I think it's really important that people have the right um, cultural fit and that they have the right attitude um, and that they just want to get involved. The most exciting thing about a startup is that you can really see the work you're doing. And if you're not there, <laughs> there's a huge gap. Mm. So I think that people really thrive on that. And yeah. a certain person will join a startup. Um, it's definitely not for everyone. But what we are trying to do is really give our team empowerment to do their jobs because we don't know all the answers as mm. a founder. I definitely don't know all the answers. And that's why we hire people that are smarter than us um, that can do it. And we really want to empower them to do the best job that they can do so that they have their own job satisfaction as well. And any tips uh, for um, uh, people in sort of hiring manager roles or founders? You'd mentioned about the sort of the hiring for attitude piece. And any sort of tips that you think have worked for you guys in the past to to really get to know the individual? So we actually have a very long hiring process, which is probably quite unusual for a startup. Um, We like to really get to know people and we encourage them to interview us as much as they interview Hmm. them, interview us as much as we interview them because they're taking, you know, they're taking a new job and we we don't pretend to be anything that we're not. A startup is really hard and it's long hours. It's the biggest commitment you can make to you. I think that, you know, people spend more time with their colleagues than they do with anyone else. Yeah, yeah. it's like, it's, 
so much of your day of yeah, your life yeah, so yeah. I think that we really encourage people to take their time interviewing us and mm. make sure that they're the right fit for us but we are the right fit for them yeah. because I think the attitudes have changed from before where you're just trying to get a job and yeah. you're hoping for the best and yeah. whereas I think that it's important in for us in our business is that it's it's a good partnership and that it's really yeah. going to work and that th- it's important for them to get on with other people in the team as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what's really important um, for that. And who have been your career role models to date? So you worked for some interesting companies beforehand. Um, any, anyone in particular worked for directly that you feel was really had shaped you? There's a saying that you you learn as much from your bad bosses as you your good bosses. I'm not, I'm not asking you to, <laughs> not to, to, to sh- shake Name the trees. Yeah, yeah. Shake the trees too much now. But who, who anyone jumping out um, as being a career role model that you learned a lot from along the way? I worked in a fantastic company called Waxman. They are a PR firm um, focused on block, in the blockchain space and that was a startup and a, and it had an incredible leadership team in in the Dublin office and i really think that they helped to shape me and they taught me so much particularly on the culture side mm. they had an incredible culture and it's something i've never experienced in that way before everyone in the office works incredibly hard but they're all always so kind and they're so so team oriented as well and it really comes from the leadership leadership team and i think i i always go back to that and and how that environment made me feel and how it like really spurred me on to work even harder because I was in such a positive working environment. And it's something that I always try to bring into Riley with me as well. I'd be really into culture. I think it's so important hmm. in a business and I always try and bring that into our business as well, even though we're, we're so small. Hmm. you know. But I think from the ground up, culture is really important yeah. and it doesn't happen overnight and you yeah. really do have to cultivate it. We do a lot of, or we try to do um, team days and like get together because everyone's so spread out and we try and get together with the team as much as possible because it's really, and it's amazing seeing them all together and seeing them like Mm. sparking ideas off each other and productivity as well. So um, I think that's really important for culture. But yeah, that, that company really helped. And then in Riley, since we've had a number of mentors who have been phenomenal for us and who has who have been really encouraging. Anne O'Leary is one of them, um, ex-CEO of Vodafone, now Meta, and she has been an incredible help for us um, and gives us so much of her time as well and coaches us, which um, has been so helpful in this journey because it's like totally different now. So, um, but we also have uh, business coaches and mentors that we we work with too so that we're really getting the best out of ourselves as well. And, and what you mentioned about the culture and Waxman being particularly strong, what was it in particular? So you'd mentioned it was a positive environment uh, from the top down, it seemed helpful and it was a high performance environment. How, how was that knitted together in your opinion when you look back? Was it setting clear goals and expectations, uh, people leaving from the front, you know, anything else jumping out that seems to be? Yeah, I think there was a lot of autonomy in that um in that office and in that um, culture, which I think is really important. And they also spent a long, like, they gave a lot into who they were hiring. So they really did put a lot of focus, making sure that the the people that they were hiring were the right people for the roles and that they would gel well with the team. So I think that was really important. And they, they... were very honest in their feedback. So there was a lot of open communication 
And I think everyone just felt like it was such a great place to work. And when that culture works Hmm. and I remember I've asked their current MD what the secret is and I I don't know if he really knows what the secret sauce is, Mm. but he drives that. And I think that is because he's very approachable and um, is so supportive and wants people to grow um, and is really focused on their personal development, which I think when it all comes together is um, a good recipe. And do you think is that nature or nurture from from his side? Is it, do you think is he was he naturally like that, or something he's consciously worked on to become a better leader? Yeah, I think both. I think okay. that's what's really important. I think you can be a born leader, let's mm. say, but at the same time, I think you have to learn how to communicate and how to properly coach teams. And it's something that I've been in other companies that maybe didn't have that coaching element or didn't you know spend time being better managers or being able to do that. And I think that. That's the difference is mm. when you spend time understanding how to manage people and, and bringing out the best in them, because that's what makes people happy because they feel, you know, they have their purpose and they feel like productive mm. and it creates a really happy working environment. Yeah, very good. And just in relation to the mentorship, um, so the relationships that you have, what, what what's worked best for you? So some people have maybe a start, stop, continue uh, to some it's asking or maybe creating awareness of new marketplaces, a new way of doing things. And anything in particular, has it been any major, uh, the, the word pivot has obviously been sort of overused for, from COVID, but and anything in particular from the mentors you've worked with that's really sort of um, helped you personally? I think that we meet our mentors a lot. So I think that continuous um, accountability is really important. So knowing, you know, what you have to do for the next meeting and and really working on things is really, really important. Our business coaches is really helpful. They knit us together both as a wider team. We do team bonding activity Mm. um, but also as like a founding leadership team as well. So I think they're really useful and important and a lot of people wouldn't get business coaches as Mm. such a small business but we actually did it straight off the bat because when you have three founders we split out our skills really early on so we each took a different side of the business so I lead our operations side of the business Lauren leads our corporate side and Fiona leads our marketing and D2C side so I think splitting that out was really important and then working on our working with our business coaches to be able to um, have clear goals and be accountable for those Mm. goals. We're incredibly performance driven as a business. So really having those clear milestones that we want to get to is so important for us. And we can also then look back and say, you know, we actually have achieved the X, Y and Z. I think in a startup and particularly in our business, we want to do so much. Female health is such a huge area and we we want to really conquer it all and create mm. the empire, as you said. Yeah. Um, but like anything, resource is limited and we need to be able to focus on what is going to get us there and get us um, where we want to be. So those kind of... Um, mentors and, and coaches really help us to do that. Yeah. I, my, my own observation just from recruiting CFOs in particular over the last 10 years or so, I, I think there's been a major change in, you know, what we're discussing around accountability and, you know, that sort of growth mindset piece. I think business, you, you know, in the past, you very often had a talented business owner who knew it all or the perception was they knew it all and the business was driven very hard and people generally didn't question it maybe as much as they do now. I think the top 
businesses, whether it's a board type structure or advisors, it's still usually a group at the top level who are really um, driven, focused, motivated. But I do think that there's a sort of a, you know, a check in course correct when things maybe aren't going to plan and slightly less personality driven so look I, I think it's fantastic yourself Lauren Fiona made that decision earlier on it's certainly from a recruiter's point of view to me it's a much easier sell in terms of promoting the business from an employer value proposition perspective there's a lot of businesses whereby you have three or four percent a lot of times they don't get on it could be a family business very often the case that people just don't get on at the at the, at the top end business can be very successful <clears throat> but I think over the longer term it's, it's a very smart strategy and I, I think you're going to get there with that empire I hope so uh, so tell me j- just in relation we were chatting about um you know, whatever way people describe it about every eye form so in beauty or every horse is stable <clears throat> some people have worked at multinationals you, mm. you previously worked at multinational some people have worked with startups and I, I'm always like I, I, I try to never be surprised I, I sometimes think to myself so I, I'm very often speaking to say an Irish business owner or a medium sized business and there's sometimes a perception that everyone wants to work like we're, we're lucky in Ireland there's, you've got LinkedIn Facebook Google they employ huge teams of financial professionals legal professionals but you know certainly not everyone wants to work in a multinational and mm. sometimes you know an individual similar to yourself uh, when you might work in a multinational and then they make the decision to start up a business themselves or, or work for a founder and really get behind that, that piece um, did you see yourself because uh, I know you worked for Salesforce previously maybe tell me what you liked about Salesforce what you took forward and then maybe your reflection maybe about working for a big company a small company what, what was your yeah absolutely I worked in Salesforce was my most recent role before I started Riley and it was actually a different role than I've ever done before so in there I was um, did sales enablement so that was um, training and coaching the sales teams in Salesforce so I actually loved that I thought it was so interesting and genuinely the people that you meet because you meet the first round of new people who are coming in um, of new hires and you're one of the first touch points uh, when they when they start mm. so they're so excited and you get to be able to experience watching them grow and watching them really flourish into their role so I think that's what I absolutely loved about that job um, and being able to to help them to do that as well and there's just so many amazing people that joined that that company as well and they were just such a pleasure to work with. So I really enjoyed that element. There's a lot of senior leaders in Salesforce as well that I really respected and looked up to and just admired the way that they conducted their teams and that they could have so much empathy but also be uh, such a strong leader, which I think is really important as well. And then I left and started Riley um I was there about a year and, and left and started Riley. And I think for me, I love being purpose driven and I love getting my hands dirty. I just love executing and hmm. I struggle a little bit in a bigger environment um, when it's harder to execute things, when projects take longer or, you know, there's maybe um, different teams that you have to contact with things. So I much prefer an environment that I can really like work I'm very fast paced, so I mm. like an environment that I can work quickly and um, really just get things done. Yeah. Um, I'm not great at longer term projects. It's mm. important to know your own weaknesses as well. Um, but it's something that I'm working on, of course. So a start of environment, that fast paced, that energy and um, that execution piece really suits me. Yeah, very good. Uh, we do uh, annual <clears throat> 360 uh, blind feedback and I would also have to concede that I am good at starting off projects and that, that maybe 
maybe the long-term execution. I'm also working on that. So we, 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 we have that in common. Uh, I, I, it's interesting about the sales enablement piece, a very useful skill set, I think, for a founder, mm. uh, you know, because you're coaching, developing. Uh, if, if a business, you know, has sales, I think that, you know, it's, you're obviously off to a good start. Um, if it's OK to ask you, so ju- just in terms of role models, I know your father, who sadly passed away in recent years, was a role model. Um, I think you described him as being maybe risk averse. Do you feel this generation, and, and I'm sort of using this loosely now, you, you and I are probably sort of 10 years apart. I'm going to park us both in the sort of 30s and 40s, if it's okay to say that. Um, is there more opportunity nowadays to, you know, whether people describe it as taking risks? So my, my own view is basically I, I worked in a, um, for CPI, one of the bigger Irish companies now. I had a, uh, you know, a, a large enough team there. It didn't, wasn't really that big a decision for me to, to set up my own business, you know. And I, it's, it's not that I'm surprised people ask. I was surprised the number of people at the time who thought this was such a gigantic risk whereas for me I thought to myself look I'm you know well first of all I'm extremely determined to make this work it was probably a safer bet for me because I was transitioning over had a network in that space how much of a risk did you feel it was at the time and and you know maybe as we come to a close what what advice would you give to others were you born maybe less risk averse or how, how would you describe your approach I would be very similar to you in terms of when we did start the business. I didn't think it was that risky. Hmm. Um, maybe that was naive as well. But I think that l- similar to yourself, I was so driven and passionate that I knew I was going to make it work. Um, but I do think that having role models in your life that own their own businesses as well pro- definitely contributed so much to it. So my dad had his own business and I would have seen him running his own business and it's not that he would have spoken to me about it it's just more so that I was around it so Mm. for me starting a business then becomes quite normal if you're at home and both your parents are teachers you'll probably become you know you think that maybe you'll become a teacher because monkey see monkey do Mm. like most people would Um, so that's probably why I was a bit more um, so open to it Mm. Um, and probably less risk averse but I also very much believe that I'd rather give it a go and fail. Hmm. I think that failure is something we don't talk enough about. I think it's totally okay to fail as long as you're learning from it. Um, but I think that people are quite um, critical when 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 they fail or when other people fail. And I think that failure is, is really important and it's part of life. And I think that everyone should fail because it means that they're trying something that they really want to try. So that would be my take on it. Yeah, very good. So Anya, if I was to ask you, this is the last question. Um, say we meet again in two to three years, hopefully in Dublin. I know you're planning to be back and forward. What, what, what could I expect to be talking about? How many countries do you think you might be in at that stage? And what are you likely to have achieved? You know, what milestones are you hoping to achieve maybe over the next two or three years? Yeah, um, What's really important for us at the moment is driving our UK strategy. As I was telling you, I'm moving to London very shortly, which is so exciting. And I'll be driving our corporate UK strategy there. What we're really looking at, though, is global. So we want to be a global business and we are determined to be a global business. So I hope when we meet in three years, that will be the case. Also, there's so many areas of female health that we want to look at. So new product development is something that's really important to us as well. So I hope that not only are we global, but that we'll also be talking not just about our period care range, but that we'll be talking about our other products as well that will be helping um, females to lead a better life. 
Great. Well, thank you very much for your time today and creating um, an awareness around your product and, and your cause and mission, which I think is very, very exciting. Uh, where can people find you on you? What, what's the website? Maybe if anyone wants to contact you personally, where's the best place? Yeah, absolutely. So personally, you can reach me on LinkedIn and I'm more than happy to help anyone if, if I can. I'm not saying I have all the answers. I'm, I think it's pretty obvious I don't, but I'm more than happy to help. And in terms of our website, it's weareriley.com and you'll find us also on Instagram and TikTok, we.r. Riley. Great. So, Anya, thanks very much for your time. I'm, I'm going to uh, keep things moving. Ava uh, um, uh, and Aidan, who produce our podcast, which I'm very grateful for. They're not knocking on the door just yet, tapping their watches now, but I think they will be soon. So, thank you very much for your time. The very best of luck in your move to London and best wishes for the next two or three years. Thank you so much.